Turn to your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 11 within God's Word. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. And again, it's so good to have you here this morning. Amen. It looks like as I'm looking out here this morning, people with the sunshine out here uh, and it getting a little warmer, they piled up into our two early morning services this morning. You watch when the time changes, they're going to be back. When we, when we lose an hour and they got us get up an hour earlier, they're going to be back to this service. But we've got three services. If you're not aware of it here at Lakeside, an 8.30 service, a 9 o'clock service in the chapel, and back here at 10 o'clock. It is so good having you with us in God's house. Mark 11, we've been preaching through Mark 11, 22 through 25 throughout the month of February, going verse by verse, and we'll come back to that in a moment this morning. But uh, if you don't have a study guide, lift up your hand. If you'd like to fill in the blanks and take notes and follow along this morning, we'll do that uh, with you this day. Great-grandpa, great-grandpa was taking a snooze, his afternoon nap, and his great-grandkids thought that they'd pull a trick on great-granddad. They got some potent, awful, rancored, rancid, awful-smelling cheese. And they took that awful-smelly cheese and embedded it, rubbed it in his thick mustache while he was sleeping. Few moments he woke up, he woke up and uh, shook his head and said, Boy, something, something stinks in this room. This is awful. And he ran into the kitchen and went, It stinks in here too. He ran outside, took a deep breath of fresh air, looked around, scrunched up his nose. The whole world stinks. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is that what you're saying? Life stinks. Life stinks. Everything stinks. Maybe it's because you become bitter towards somebody that's hurt you or towards yourself or even, dare we say it, deep down, if we were honest, we might even be blaming God. We might even be blaming God. Much of the New Testament warns about holding on to bitterness. For instance, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the writer says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is hazardous to your health. Newsweek, not long ago, reported in their article, uh, Live and Forgive, uh, that bitterness has specific 
physiologic uh, consequences, such as increased blood pressure, hormonal changes, cardiovascular disease, uh, immune suppression, and possibly impaired neurological function and memory. We're talking about bitterness. And the consequences, the results of bitterness are not just physiological, not just psychological. They can also be mental. Stanford University psychologist Fred Lunskin in his book, Forgive for Good, after citing the the physical uh, 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 and psychological effects of feelings, of revenge, he writes this, and I quote, Wanting to hurt somebody is like pouring Drano into your own insides. This is coming from secular experts and specialists. But uh, hear me, there is something far worse than the physical, the psychological, the mental consequences of bitterness. It's what we discover here in Mark chapter 11, our main text this morning. Read with me. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I've been in countless services, countless preaching, teaching experiences, and I have found that the speaker many times ends right there. They forget about verse 25. Verse 25 is a qualifier. How is it that many don't receive the miraculous? How is it that many are short-circuiting their lives on God's blessings, God's favor? How is it? Look at verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. For this month of February, we've been preaching through this passage so that we can see the mountains moved in our lives. We talked about have faith in God. That's the believing part. We talked about confessing, speaking the promises of God to our mountains. That's the speaking part. We find that verse 25 is not about believing. It's not about speaking. It has everything to say about forgiving. Those three things need to come into play for mountains to be moved. You see, bitterness will cause your prayers to bounce off the ceiling. Bitterness will short-circuit anything good God wants to bring into your life and mine. Bitterness will keep you from uh, your sins being forgiven. Bitterness will cause you to be a lost soul eternally before God. So an unforgiving spirit, bitterness is no small thing in the eyes of God. That's why we desperately need, as a church, uh, as a people, as Christ followers, we desperately need to experience the healing power of breakthrough forgiveness. Breakthrough forgiveness. This morning, let's get ready to receive God's breakthrough forgiveness in our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus. 
Right now, God, come, Holy Spirit, and seal this Word in our hearts and lives. In the name of Jesus, we speak this. We preach this, Lord, and receive it. Amen and amen. Real forgiveness. It's amazing how many people are confused about the subject of forgiveness. For them, uh, forgiveness is the way some Arnold Schwarzenegger, Charles Bronson, uh, Sylvester Stallone Rambo movie is like. I mean, yeah, you hurt me, I come back and hurt you with vengeance. And they're informed by Hollywood theology instead of biblical theology. Let's, what does the Bible say is real forgiveness? I'm gonna go through this quickly. Take notes this morning. Real forgiveness is foundational to being a Christ follower. Forgiveness is at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. What do we read in the center of the Lord's Prayer? What do we read? Matthew 6, forgive us our trespasses as we, what? Forgive those who trespass against us. It's impossible to rightly call oneself a Christian. And have an unforgiving spirit. Jesus said in Luke 6, Forgive and you will be forgiven. You see, we're the most like beasts when we kill. We're the most like men when we judge others. And we're the most like God when we forgive. When we forgive. Real forgiveness should be your first and fastest response. Your first and fastest response. I would use the word immediate, but I'm beginning every blank with the letter F this morning. That takes your pastor a lot of time. You need to appreciate that. These are key points that begin with the letter F for forgiveness. It should be our our, our first and our fastest response. Paul teaches in Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. You hear that, spouses? Hear that, parents? Hear that, kids? Don't give the devil a foothold. If you give the devil a foothold into your life because of the blame game, because of hurts, offenses, because of anger, hatred, and our unforgiving spirit, if you give him a foothold, footholds become strongholds. You give him a beachhead, He'll set up a throne and set up a kingdom in your heart. Of the 22 times forgiveness is mentioned in the Bible, all 22 involve immediate forgiveness. Forgiveness that's an act of our will, not our feelings. An act of our will. Not our feelings. If you wait until you have the feelings of forgiveness, you'll give room for a bitter root to grow in your life. And where there's bitter roots, you can count on it, there's bitter fruits. There's consequences. There's results to holding on to those feelings of getting even. The blame game. Bitterness. Real forgiveness, write it down, always involves forgetting. Real forgiveness always includes forgetting. 
senior citizen had just recently retired in Florida, and he had bought, he had bought, because it's his retirement, he bought his dream car, a brand new vet. And he's out on the Florida Expressway, and he thought, you know, I've heard how fast these things go. I want to see what will happen when I open it up. And he felt like a kid again. He had the top down, the wind blowing through what was left of his hair, and he had it floored. I mean, he's doing 85, 95, 120, no problem at all. And then all of a sudden, the bubblegum machine is behind him. State trooper pulls him over. State trooper says, listen, listen. I'm going to be off the clock in 10 minutes. You can save me time. I won't write you up if you can give me one good reason. Why are you doing 120, old man? On the state expressway. Why? Give me one good reason. Old man hesitated for a moment, thought. said, officer, sir, my ex-wife ran off with a state trooper three years ago and I thought he was bringing her back. Get out of here, the state trooper said. Some just can't forget. Some just can't forget. How does God's forgiveness work? How does God's forgiveness work? Hebrews chapter 4, verse uh, 12. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins. No, what? God's forgiveness always, always includes forgetfulness. If you were to go to prayer right now and say, uh, God, God, uh, 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 you know that thing I did 23 years ago, uh, uh, five months and, 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 and two days ago? You, you remember that, that where I felt God would say, say what? Say what? His forgiveness always includes forgetting. True forgiveness always forgets. Pastor, I'll always remember what was... I'll always remember what they did. I'll always remember the hurt. You can choose to remember with resentment or you can choose to remember with release. It's your choice. It's your choice. Write it down. Real forgiveness is freeing. Paul says in Colossians 3, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. A woman's going through the checkout line at Walmart. Cashier says, cash, check, or credit card. Woman opens up her purse. She's fumbling for her credit card. And the cashier just couldn't help notice this huge, large, TV remote control in her purse. The cashier said, ma'am, I I hope you don't mind me asking, but what on earth, why on earth do you have that TV remote control in your purse? The woman looked up and smiled and said, my husband refused to go shopping with me, so I did the most evil thing that I could think of. I stole his TV remote control. Retaliating 
with hurt for hurt. Retaliating with hate for hate. Causes you to be infected with the same poison as the victimizer. What do you want to be? Do you want to be free or you want to be a slave? What do you want to be? You want to be just like him, her, the one that hurt you? As long as they can get you to be like them. Just as long as they can get you to to be filled with the same hate, the same poison, the same uh, retaliation idea, the same criticism, the same infection that they have, they control you. They're the master and you're the slave. But when you rise up and say, I'm going to choose to forgive you. I'm going to choose to release you with my forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm not going to let you control me with your hate. I'm not going to respond with hurt for hurt, hate for hate. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to forgive you. You see, when you do that, you find real freedom. Forgiveness is not just for the one that has hurt you and victimized you. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness frees you. Forgiveness cleanses you. Forgiveness heals you from the toxic poison that would like to condemn and inhibit and paralyze your soul. Do you see that? Forgiveness. It's freeing. And lastly, real forgiveness is forever. Jesus said... Very clearly on this subject. Peter came uh, to Jesus and asked in Matthew 18, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? If the same person hurt you seven times and you forgave them seven times, that's pretty good. Back in that day and time, the understanding was, in the Jewish-Hebrew context, that if you forgave once, if you just forgave once, you're a good man. You're a good person. If you forgave twice, twice, you were a holy person. If you forgave that person three times, you were godlike. So Peter comes to Jesus expecting some real praise, a pat on the back, expecting a compliment. Peter comes to Jesus and say, should I forgive seven times? How did Jesus respond? Jesus responded, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven So does that mean when we get to the 491st time, powie, we give it to them. Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, forgive until it becomes a habit. Always forgive. Forgive forever. Forgiveness is to be the rule of your life. Forgiveness. We're talking about biblical, real forgiveness. But often... And us pastors know this in our ministry counseling experience. I've run into this quite a bit in marital issues. Often Christians have a head knowledge of true forgiveness, but they don't have a heart knowledge. 
They have all the answers. They can quote the verses. They know what they ought to do. They have a head knowledge, but they just can't exercise forgiveness. They are so bound up in the blame game. They're so holding on to hurts from the past. They cannot experience or exercise the forgiveness that God calls them to. There's a barrier. That's why there needs to be a forgiveness breakthrough. That's why there needs to be a breakthrough in forgiveness. Countless Christians, write it down, are missing their divine destiny because they've chosen to be pitiful rather than powerful in Christ Jesus. They're missing out on real blessings. They're missing out on on miracles. God cannot answer their prayers because of the blame they hold towards others, towards themselves, and, and, and dare we admit it, even towards God Himself. When you open the door to self-pity, what do we mean by self-pity? Woe is me. I've got such a rough lot in life. Why, God? When we open up the door to self-pity in our lives, when we open up the door in our lives to blame, the blame game, we invite all kinds of negativity into our lives. And then we offer a foothold for the enemy to sit upon our shoulder and whisper in our ear, You're right. You're right. You've been a faithful Christian. You've been faithful to God's house. You've been faithful in ministry. They've hurt you. Now hurt them. You've been faithful to God. It's God's fault. Look how He's treating you. Look at your problems. Look at your sicknesses. Listen, it's your choice. It's your choice to perk your ear to the Father of lies or the Heavenly Father of divine promises. The yea and amen promises of Christ Jesus. It's your choice to be pitiful or powerful, but you can't be both. You can't be both. It's a fact. Write it down. Those closest to us can hurt us the most. How many of you have ever been, don't raise your hand. How many of you at one time or another have been told off by a family member? They didn't, they didn't just give you a little piece of their mind. They gave you a little piece of hell. Huh? Are you, you, you hearing me this morning? Huh? Maybe, for example, the greatest day, the greatest day of your life was the birth of your child. Maybe you even brought your baby down here to the front and we dedicated your child unto the Lord. Gave him back to God. Presented him to the Lord for God's blessing. But today, if we were to interview you, that same child has rejected you and has rebelled against the Almighty. And the hurt goes deeper than what we want to admit. Or maybe your hurting heart was caused by an abusive parent. Verbally, emotionally, physically, sexually uh, abusive. 
Or maybe your hurt comes from another direction. I heard tell of a, of some parents here in Metro Detroit that wanted their kids to visit them at Easter time. The daughter lives in Miami. The son lives in Dallas, Texas. And he called up, the father called up the, the son and said, Son, your mother and I have decided on a divorce. We're going to divorce one another. The son said, Dad, don't do anything. We're going to be there right away. Don't do anything. I'm going to call my sister uh, in Miami as well. Dad, don't do a thing. He called his sister in Miami. She said, Mom and Dad getting a divorce? No way. Brother, we got to fly and get there. We got to get to the, to the home right away. We got to talk them out of this. Dad got off the phone and called his, to his wife across the room. Honey, honey, I got both kids coming for Easter and they're both paying their own way. Hallelujah. Sadly, regretfully, tragically, divorce is no laughing matter. Maybe I'm talking to someone that you expected a forever love. You expected a till death do you part love. But you got till divorce do us part love. And life's greatest joy has left you so bitter. I've had them look at me across the counseling table. I've had them look me in the eye and and say, uh, uh, What do you mean, forgive my ex? I was the one who was betrayed. Uh, I was the one that was left all alone. I was the one that that was stuck having to put everything back together. I was the one left with all the bills. I was the one who was made to look like a fool. I pray an early grave on him or her. I don't make light of any hurts you have suffered. But write it down. No, it's Satan's strategy to poison us with self-pity, with bitterness, with blame. So in the name of Jesus, my directive to you this morning, it's not profound, it's not so deep you can't understand it. My directive to you this morning, in the name of Jesus, let go of it and give it to God. Let go of it and give it to God. That's what Paul did in Philippians 3.13. Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Letting go of what is behind. Getting over what is behind. And straining toward that which is ahead. I press on toward the goal uh, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Are you sitting this morning and maybe you're single? Maybe you're single and you wish you were married. Let go of it and give it to God. Don't let any bitter feelings take root in your spirit. That attitude will only keep you from the right person from entering your life. It'll keep you from your prayers being answered. It'll keep you from uh, mountain-moving miracles. But maybe you're married and wish you were single here this morning. 
I want you to recognize you haven't married the perfect person. And neither have they. Are you with me this morning? Are you awake? Huh? You haven't married the perfect person, and neither have they. There's only one who can satisfy every need. There's only one who can fulfill all of your expectations. And that one, his name isn't Joe, Mark, Ted, or Sam. It's not Barb, Nancy, Sue, or Sally. His name is Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus can 100% fulfill Every need, every longing, every expectation. Why do you expect your husband or wife to be like Jesus in that regard of being 100% perfect? And you developed a bitterness. Only the lover of your soul can fulfill you completely. So stop playing the blame game. Stop the pity party. Let go of any bitterness and give it to God and be free. I've heard dozens blame their behavior. I've heard dozens blame their bad choices, their poor choices on their parents, on their upbringing, their environment. They, they whine to me, oh, my problems are, are because my, my parents didn't love me the way they should. All my problems are rooted in that. Hey, that's good freshman psychology, but that's lousy Bible theology. Let go of it and give it to God. My Bible, my Bible says when we come to Jesus, we are a new creation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, all things have become new. You have a new heart. You have a new attitude. You have a new life when you come to Jesus. If your parents didn't love you, I'm sorry. But the good news is this. God desperately loves you. Your Father desperately loves you. He's for you. If you'd been the only person ever created, He would have still sent His very best, His Son Jesus, to give His life for you. So that you might be with the Father throughout all eternity. Or maybe you're comparing yourself to others this morning. You look at others and you say, I wish I had their smarts. I wish I had their good looks. I wish I could drive their car, live in their house. I wish I had their marriage. I wish I had their children. I wish, I wish, I wish. And that I wish has become a blame game. God, why? Did I get this and I didn't get that? And whether you know it consciously or unconsciously, a self-pity, a blame game, a bitterness has crept into your spirit. I want you to know that comparisons are unscriptural, they're ungodly, they're unholy. Comparisons kill. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Do it with all of your might. What has God given you? What what opportunities has God placed in your hand? Where has God positioned you? How has God positioned you? What are your abilities? What are your talents? What are your privileges? What are your benefits? Now, put all of your strength, your might. Do it 
for the glory of God, uh, perform excellence on what God has given you. Let go of your why God, your self-pity, your bitterness from comparing comparing, and start declaring, uh, uh, I am unique. Uh, I'm one of a kind. When God made me, he threw the mold away. Uh, I am empowered. I am equipped. Uh, I am anointed and appointed for his glory and his honor. All the days of the book of my life uh, are in his hand. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. Praise God, I'm going through. There it is. Maybe your boss. I'm speaking to some soul this morning. Your boss didn't give you the promotion you expected. And every time you see him, you wish your eyesight was lasers. French frying him to the wall. French frying her to the wall. Your boss didn't give you the promotion that you expect. Let go of it. Give that over to God. Watch, watch, watch. You keep the right attitude. You keep the right spirit of faith and expectation. Watch what God will do. He'll give you something better. I've seen that over and over and over again. Maybe the popular crowd doesn't accept you. Maybe the popular crowd doesn't approve of you. Maybe you haven't been included in a circle of friends that you've been looking at, either here at Lakeside or at school. Let go of it. Give it to God. You don't need their acceptance. You don't need their approval. You've got the Almighty's approval. You've got His stamp of favor. Hallelujah. He looks at you and says, This is my child in whom I'm well pleased. Maybe you failed a test. Maybe maybe you failed a class or an entire year at school. And you feel like a failure and you hate yourself. Let go of that. Forgive yourself. Try again with all of your might. Give it over to God and watch what He can do. He'll never fail you. He'll never forsake you. Maybe I'm speaking to a soul this morning. You really messed up. You fell into deep, gross sin. And you're still beating yourself up even this morning. Even after repenting. Walk in our Lord's amazing grace. His grace is greater than any sin you'll ever commit. His love is deeper still. There is no pit of sin so deep that you can fall into that His love, His grace is not deeper still. Walk in His... Now, I'm not making light of wrong choices. I'm not condoning sin. But I'm warning you, the enemy delights in paralyzing our souls by our past. Uh, Refuse to live in the shadow of a bad track record. Be what God says about you. Be the child in whom He is well pleased. Stop looking at where you've been and start looking at where you can be in Christ Jesus. Stop parking by yesterday's failures and start looking at God's great plan for your life. You may be dealing with sickness this morning. You might be dealing with disease, affliction, a bad diagnosis. I will partnership in faith prayers with you. You will be on my personal prayer list. But 
Don't sit around in a pity party. Stop saying, why God? Why me? Poor old me. I guess my life is over. Stop that in the name of Jesus. Remember, by his stripes, you were healed. Remember, the prayer of faith still saves the sick. And remember, there's still power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb Christ Jesus. Stop the pity party. Let go of it. Get it to God. And watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. Years ago, years ago, Tim and Don Waggy told me that uh, Tim had won a trophy playing golf. It, it was not your ordinary trophy. It was a crystal, crystalline trophy. And he proudly had it sitting on his desk in his beautiful den at their home. And it just so happened at a certain time when the sun was at a a, a certain exact zenith in the sky that the sunlight, acting like a prism, zeroing in through that glass crystalline trophy, that trophy, which was meant to be a blessing, acted like a curse. It acted like a magnifying prism. That sunlight coming through their window, that sunlight was narrowed down like a laser beam. I'm not making this up unless Tim is. (laughs) It narrowed down like a laser beam and caught a piece of paper on fire on his desk in their, they had a fire in their den. And I'm not making this up. Tim and Don told me, so it's got to be Bible truth. (laughs) Hey, what's the point? I want you to know what kind of gospel we preach here at Lakeside. We preach a gospel of hope. We preach a gospel of blessing and a gospel of favor. We preach a gospel that says that God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. But we do not, we do not, we do not preach a gospel that says, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and you won't have any more problems. Come to Jesus, and you won't have any crystal trophies that light your den on fire. Come to Jesus, and you won't have any sorrow. Come to Jesus, and you won't have any problems, trials, testings, or tribulation. We don't preach that. We don't preach trouble-free, storm-free living just because you've become a Christian. In fact, in fact, because you're in the dead center of God's will, you might experience more storms. You might experience more attack. (laughs) You might experience more trials and tribulations. Some of you are looking at me and saying, oh, gee, thanks. But listen, if you lift up your hands uh, and lift up your face and praise the name of Jesus, Satan takes the pressure off. Uh, Satan is allergic to your praise and worship. He can't stand it when in the midst of the storm you lift up your hands and you praise the Lord. Amen. He doesn't promise storm-free living. The issue of the hour is not storms. The issue of the hour is this. Who's in your boat? Uh, Who's in your boat? If you've got Jesus in your boat, He rises up in the storm and He says, Peace. 
Be still. <laughs> you can have peace in the storm. Glory to God as you travel through with Jesus. The gospel that we preach, the gospel we preach is one that says there's peace in the storm. When you're tempted to get bitter, write it down. In life's trials, remember Job. Job. Not Job. 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 Tell me, what did Job lose? Oh, come on. you got to be a preacher. He lost his business. He lost his finances. He lost his livelihood. Uh, he lost uh, the focus of his life, which gives a man so much pride and, and well-being. Uh, he, he, he lost, uh, think of it, his children, and very probably also, if you read between the lines, he also lost his grandchildren. Well, some of you are looking at me and say, well, pastor, you got to admit, you know, well, at least he had his health. Honey, turn the page in your Bible. You turn the page and old Slewfoot, the devil struck him again. And this time covered him from head to foot in oozing, ulcerous, boils, sores. The Bible says he had a horrendous itch that he could not scratch. It was so bad that he was shunned by the people. He was shunned by his own relatives. He was put out on the city dump and he took a piece of pottery and used it to scrape those sores. I find it interesting how when the devil attacks... He takes some things, but he leaves some things behind. I said he takes some things, and he leaves some things behind. I'm talking about Job's wife. You talk about a piece of work. I mean, would you want her to be the sunshine lady at the hospital and wake you up at 6.30 in the morning? Huh? She comes to Job, who's sitting on the city dump on that garbage pile, and she looks him in the eye, and she says, Honey... Curse God and die. Curse God and die. There must have been a life insurance policy. Curse God and die. I mean, how would you like to have that word when you're sick in the hospital? What a piece of work. Job could have given up. He could have blamed God. He could have thought, you know, just my luck. I do my best for God. I'm faithful to God. I'm upright. I'm righteous. And look what happens to me. We don't read that whatsoever. What we do read is Job rises up and he says, Though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Yea, my Redeemer liveth. Job was saying, I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to play the blame game. My God, my God is still on the throne, and He'll make all of my wrongs right. I may not like what I'm going through, uh, but I'm not, but I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm going to let go of it. I'm going to give it over to the Lord. Uh, I'm going to walk in breakthrough forgiveness. Uh, how did Job let go of it? How can you let go of it? Let me say it again. How did Job let go of it? How, what do you need to do to have breakthrough forgiveness? Job chapter 1 verse 20 instructs us, Then Job fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. You need to do what Job did. 
You need to turn your problem into praise. That's the act of giving it over to God. When you lift up your hands in praise, instead of wringing your hands going, Oh, woe is me. It's all going down the tubes. Uh, I'm a loser. I'm going to die like a dog. Instead of doing that, lift up those hands. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My God is on the throne. And somehow, some way, He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. My God is on the throne and everything's going to be all right. Hallelujah. If you'll do that in the hour of trial, if you'll do that in the hour of sorrow, let me tell you, that kind of attitude will produce mountain-moving, breakthrough miracles. God did that for Job. Look at number five. Letting go of bitterness and blame over life's trials is moving in restoration faith. It's knowing God's got to come back for every setback. God's got to come back for every setback. Uh, I'll say it again. God's got to come back for every setback. Nine months, nine months after Job chapter 1, nine months after Job chapter 1, Job came out of loss into favor. Job came out of loss into blessing. Job came out with twice as much as he had previously. When you let go of bitterness and blame, you position yourself for double blessing. You position yourself for multiplied miracles and favor. Listen, we all go through tough times. But we're not supposed to stay there. God's the author and the finisher of your faith. When tough times come, Don't stay there. Keep turning the page of the book of your life uh, because the book of your life doesn't end in a whimper. It doesn't end in defeat. It ends in a roar. We win. (laughs) We win (laughs) because Christ Jesus is our victory. Hallelujah, church. I speak to your soul this morning. Don't let one bad break. Don't let one bad divorce Don't let a rough childhood cause you to sour on life. God has arranged a vindication for you for every wrong that has come in your life, every injustice that has come your way. He's arranged for you a new beginning for every disappointment. He's the God who made the bitter waters sweet in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, He's the God that turned the water into wine. I don't care what He's go- what you're going through this morning. God can turn it around and give you double blessings, double joy, double peace, double favor for His honor and glory's sake. He's got to come back for every setback. Double is coming your way as you lift your hands and declare, blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? Our keyboardist is coming. Stand with me this morning. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story of the famous masterpiece. The famer master, the famous masterpiece called The Last Supper. They even made a movie about it. Who painted the masterpiece, The Last Supper? Who painted it? Leonardo da Vinci. Talking about the Da Vinci Code. Bunch of nonsense. 
Legend tells that when Leonardo was originally painting that masterpiece, that when he came to the face of the disciples, he chose faces of people that he loved dearly. But when he came to the face of Judas, the betrayer, whose name lives in infamy, I don't know of anybody that names their child Judas. I don't even know of a dog by the name of Judas. When it came to the face of Judas, there was a painter, a fellow painter, that owed him money, that refused to pay him back. And he took the face of that painter that he hated and put it for the face of Judas. When he came to paint the face of Jesus, it didn't matter which way he painted it. It didn't matter what colors, what hues, what configuration. It just wouldn't come together. And God dealt with his heart. said, you need to reconcile. You need to forgive. And it was after he forgave that he took an anonymous face and used it for the face of Judas. And that's when he could powerfully etch and then paint the face of Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Who is your Judas? What is your Judas? Who Have you painted for Judas? What is the Judas in your life? Will you get over it? Will you let go of it? Will you give it to God? Will you forgive that person? Forgive yourself? Maybe even forgive God? God already knows what's in your heart. One final question. Who put Jesus on the cross? Was it the Romans? The Italians? Come on, Christians. You've been in church longer than that. No! Who put Jesus on the cross? Was it the Jews? The religious leaders? Did they put Jesus on the cross? Who put Jesus on the cross? Your sins, my sins did. We did. Jesus would not have had to come. He would not have had to been nailed if it wasn't for your sins, my sins. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became capital S-I-N, sin for us all. God made Jesus guilty for every one of your sins as though Jesus had committed every one of your sins. And then God poured out His wrath, poured out His punishment on your sins, my sins, on His Son at the cross. Jesus could have called uh, thousands of angels. One angel would have done it and obliterated everyone. But He did not. A cry, a prayer came from the cross. What was that prayer that came from the lips of Jesus? Father, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. I don't think he was just praying for the Romans or the Jews uh, on that hour. He was praying also forgiveness for you and I. Jesus then would say to you and I, freely you have received, freely give forgiveness. Will you do it this morning? Will you forgive others? Yourself, and maybe even God. Father, in the name of Jesus, come, come, sweet Holy Spirit, and perform spiritual surgery here this morning. A new work, a fresh work, your work. If you've come to this service this morning and you're away from God, You're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure you have a home in heaven. And you want to be sure. You want to be certain. I'm prepared to pray a prayer. A prayer of salvation. A prayer that will make you right with God through Jesus. A prayer that will give you a new walk and a new talk. A changed life. A prayer that will give you a home in heaven. If you'd like to be included in that prayer... Just lift up your hand. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Just lift up your hand that I may see it. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? God bless you, sir. See that hand all the way in the back. Amen. How many more? Lift it up to Jesus. Lift it up to Jesus. God bless you. I see that hand. Lift it up, young lady. God bless you. I see that hand, young lady. God bless you. Four hands. Lift it up to Jesus. Keep those hands lifted up. Keep those hands lifted up. Yes, sir, I see that hand as well. Five hands. Keep those hands lifted up. Say this prayer with me. Everyone pray this prayer with me. Especially you that have your hands lifted up. Own this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. Just as I am. I confess. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sins. I believe you paid the price at the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. New life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. For cleansing me changing me for giving me a home in heaven I thank you Jesus that I'm born again I'm saved I receive it as I believe it hallelujah let's give God the glory this morning at least five at least five souls prayed that prayer with me amen amen Jesus Be Jesus in me. I want to sing that chorus. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but the pastor. I know I'm supposed to make things right. I know I'm supposed to let go of blame or bitterness. How do I do it? It's in this simple chorus. Would you sing it with me right now? 
Jesus, be Jesus in me. again this morning if you need healing for a physical need affliction a sickness if you need healing for a hurting heart somebody somewhere something has hurt you and you want to be like Job (laughs) and not have a pity party you want to have a praise party and give it over to God how many That's you this morning. You need a physical touch from God. Or you need a heart touch from God. Somebody's hurt you. And you're gonna, you're determined to give it over to God. Amen. How many out there this morning? Precious Jesus. Yes. Yes. So many. As we sing that chorus, I'm gonna ask for the elders, the deacons to come, pastors, and you come as well this morning. We wanna minister to you in the name of Jesus. Jesus, be Jesus in me.